This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Today, I wanted to put together an episode for you about goals. I have a big whiteboard hanging up in my room with all of my goals from last month written on it. And as I was reviewing it, I realized I could be doing better. I mean, it's not like I haven't achieved any of them, you know, like the ones that say save up for buying a new pair of shoes, managed to accomplish those. But the ones that say work out every day seem to have fallen through the cracks. So if anyone needs today's message, it's probably me. Therefore, I've compiled a few different interviews that I think will give some well-rounded tips and perspectives to help all of us reach our goals. This first segment is with Daphna Oyserman, and she talks with Matt about how many people fail to achieve their goals because they just don't start soon enough and what the remedy for that is. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your research and what you learned about how we break down our time. Sure. So w- one of the, the key questions for all of us is we have goals, things that we think are quite important, things we really care about. And we, we later find to our dismay that we've failed to carry them out. So we have, we have uh, fitness goals, we have studying goals, we have saving for retirement or for our kids' college education goals. And um, it, it seemed to me to be rather interesting that, that people have the goals, believe in them, want to attain them, and yet often fail mm. to start yeah. soon enough. Uh, in order to, to realistically attain them. And anyone who's ever uh, crammed for a final knows that uh, at the end of it, you swear to yourself that you're not <laughs> going to do this again, right. yet you do. Um, and Americans uh, don't save enough for their children's college, for their retirement. And the problem with that is that much like cramming at the last minute for a final, time runs forward. And when you think about compound interest, the way in which you can end up saving the large sums needed for college or for retirement is by starting soon and putting in money over time. There's really no way to compensate for failing to start saving in your 20s once you're already 50 unless you have enormous sums of money to put on the table, which people don't. Yeah, generally Uh, don't, right. Right? And people fail to understand how much the compound interest can either work for you or against you. And so what we wondered was, is there a way to help people by creating a, a sense of eminence, a sense of, of urgency, a sense of immediacy for future goals? And I, I should start out by saying that it's, it's not the case that there's something the matter with us, that we focus on the present rather than the future. That makes perfect sense. All, all of the ancestors who failed to notice the, you know, the lion looking in the bushes because they were thinking about next month's lunch right. um, are no longer around. So all of us are, are wired to focus more on the things that are pragmatically relevant, that are immediately important. And so the trick has to be making future events feel eminent, feel included in the in the present rather than excluded and something that a future self can deal with. Well, you think about that retirement, um, you know, graduating from school with a degree, all of these things are they are they're they're years away. And you're saying we've got to figure out as a, as a way as a human to make them feel some some imminent, prem, you know, pressure in the now for us. Yes. Huh. And, and what did you find out in the study? Well, what we found out, we, so we started, we, we, the, the studies are uh, broken in two parts. Uh, in the first part, we asked in some ways a, a, a simpler question, which is, um, does thinking in more proximal units, days versus months, months versus years, does thinking in more proximal units make a future feel closer even when we're not sure when it will actually happen? Hmm. So once you start studying for a midterm and you think about it as being only days away rather than weeks away, does that increase your sense that it's going to come sooner? Once you start saving for your wedding um, and you think about it as, as, you know, being weeks away rather than months away, uh, months away rather than years away, does that make that event feel sooner? And the answer was yes, whether we were looking at college students or adults. So just, Using even once when you've already started 
acting, still thinking in, in more proximal units makes the future feel more eminent, which means you're going to invest in it a little bit more energetically. Is there, is there a limit of that? Is there, I mean, if it's, if it's 365 days away, that seems farther away for me than one year. Yeah, and so people are kind of divided when I tell them about the studies. Some people say, wow, but it's a lot of days. Yeah. Right? And other people say, well, that's obvious. Days <laughs> are, you know, equal years. That's right. And so that's really why it's necessary to, to run the studies rather than just go with our gut. Right. Because, you know, our guts are divided. Sure. Um, and as it turns out, across all of the studies we did, people really ignored the large number and focused on the unit. Hmm. So if you think about, uh, you know, being the parent of a newborn child who's going to be ready for college in only 18 years or in 6,750 days, <laughs> that's a lot of days. Yeah. Or saving for retirement that's going to happen in 30 or 40 years or in 10,000 or 14,000 days, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of days. And what we found across all of the studies, no matter how many, you know, those, you, we're talking not only, you know, a few hundred days, but 10,000 days, 14,000 days, across all of those our participants focused on the day rather than the number, hmm. which we think is quite interesting. And not only that, but the size of the effect was the same, whether it was 18, 30, or 40 years away. So once it's not right now, and you're thinking about it in years, um, that seems to be the thing that matters rather than the number of days. And we ran a, a total of seven studies our participants in one study were college students. All the rest were adults ranging in age from 18 or 19 to 61 uh, and even 63, 63 to 71 in one of the studies. The average age was 31 to 33. So these are not, you know, it's not that, that this is a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds who sort of can't imagine. This. Right. These are, these are adults, and yeah. the size of the effect was quite large. People started, plan to start saving uh, four times sooner in the day's condition rather than the year's condition. So it's a, hmm. it's a large effect. It's reliable across these different uh, ways of thinking about it, across these different large periods of time. And we then said, all right, is that because it just feels more important when you think about it in days versus yeah. years? And the answer is no. Huh. Everyone says it's quite important. Of course it's important to save for your, your child's college and for your own retirement. So importance isn't the thing. Then we said, all right, well... Our, our theory is that the reason that days makes a difference is that it makes your current and future selves feel more connected. It's as if that future me is me now, rather than being some other, you know, old person. Yeah, some abstract uh, idea. So, right. And, and so we ask people things like, um, uh, the, you know, I, I just can't imagine being the parent of a college student. Yeah. Or uh, the way I am now and, and who I'll be as a retired person just feel completely different and reverse-coded those. And, and what we found is that people in the day's condition said that they felt more connected to their future self, hmm. that future self yeah. felt more congruent with their current self. It was as if they were including that in their mental representation of me now. And that reduced their impatience. So in that study... We, instead of just measuring when will you start saving, we gave them a series of choices, which economists describe as um, a metric of temporal discounting. And what that is is you're, you're asked each time, which would you prefer? And you're given a choice between less money now and more money later. Hmm. And the, uh, the size of the difference, you know, is it $10 now, $15 in a year, uh, you know, $5 now, uh, $20 in, in, in two months. So each time the amount of the time before the, you get your money and the amount of money difference between now and later changes. And what you can then do is calculate uh, people's impatience, how much more money they need later to not spend now. To yeah, save. it's fascinating. And what we found is, yeah. that, is that people in the day's condition felt more connected to their future self and this reduced their impatience. Okay. And that makes sense. If, you, if it feels like it's the same you, you're going to invest in that you. Whereas if it's not the same you, you need an awful lot of money to say, okay, you know, current me doesn't get it, later me gets it. <laughs> right. It's interesting because it really is connecting. If I'm not connected to me in, this, in, the, in every goal, in every long-term dream, in anything long-term, I'm, I'm just not going to respect it. I'm not going to do something with it. Uh, and I can, I can already see the theory of it working in my own life, knowing that I have 
this many years till I want to retire, or this many days till I want to retire, the day idea, I, I know how every day goes, and I know that I can't waste a day. But, uh, you know, over time, whatever, we'll see. We're talking with Dr. Daphna Oyserman, um, a researcher, on basically helping us understand how time can create, uh, can motivate us or in, and incentivize us or maybe disincentivize us. Let's take a break, come back, continue this discussion. discussion. Interesting uh, research um, about uh, how we can maybe motivate ourselves a little bit more with time. We'll take a break, come back. More with Daphna right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We just listened to an interview with Daphna Oyserman, who said something that I thought was kind of counterintuitive. She taught us that to create a sense of urgency with goals and to get a feeling of immediacy, we need to break down goals into smaller time units. So instead of thinking, I need to have this accomplished by next April, think of it as I only have 182 days to finish this. And I thought that was a little bit counterintuitive. You know, you would think that six months would be a lot easier to digest mentally than 182 days. But she said that they found in studies that people don't pay attention to the large number as much as they do the time units. So if you start thinking about days ticking by rather than having a few years or months to do something, then you'll get on your horse and get going. So Daphna mentioned immediacy, and I think that that plays into goal setting a lot. So I've pulled this interview with Caitlin Woolley about the importance of immediate gratification in goals. What is the key factor that separates the goals we achieve versus the ones we don't achieve? This is such, a, I think, an important topic for each of us. What, when you when you think of it, um, just overall, what what makes the difference? Is, I mean, because. I know that I could achieve every goal that I want to achieve that I – but I also could be, you know, faking it. Like I could only be setting goals that are easy for me. What, what, do, what do you find is the key to uh, what actually makes us achieve a goal versus not achieve a goal? Yes, yeah, so what we find is it's actually the immediate benefits that you're getting when you're working towards that goal. So if you're trying to go to the gym or you're trying to eat healthy – or even um, students studying for an exam, we've looked at that. Um, what really predicts their ability to stick with that, that activity is how much enjoyment, how much immediate benefits they're getting in the moment from working towards that goal. That seems to, to matter a lot. So really, it's more about if you derive, I guess, intrinsic, extrinsic benefit out of the actual act itself? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, whether the activity itself is providing you that enjoyment or if you can find a way to make it more enjoyable. Uh, those we have found have been linked to people's ability to actually stick with the, the activity. And the thing is, people don't seem to realize that. They don't realize the importance of the immediate benefits when they're working towards their goal. How interesting. And maybe knowing this ahead of time would help us, right? Because then we we might choose our goals more carefully or might set it up in a way that it is more enjoyable. Yeah, I think so. So I think if you could, you know, the delayed benefit of the reason, like you're going to go to the gym in the first place to lose weight or to get in shape, that's important. But then once you're actually at the gym, if you could think about how it's fun for you or how you can get some sort of pleasure out of it, maybe you're listening to music while you're working out, um, that is a way to sort of derive this immediate positive experience that's going to matter for persistence. That's so funny. Is it, um, I guess this is just human nature, right? If we, like, I, I honestly, I can exercise, if I can watch Netflix, it's easy for mm-hmm. me. It's just, but really what I know is really happening is it's all about the Netflix. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pathetic. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can use that to sort of harness that, that experience to help you, right? So if you find that that's one of the things that you really like when you're working out, then you should allow yourself to have that. I think um, sometimes people, they set up goals and they say, you know, I'm going to eat really healthy. I'm only going to eat salads from here on out. And that's kind of a mistake because if you're not factoring in the pleasure, it's going to be really hard to stick with that uh, that goal. Is Does the pleasure need to be, is it a physiological pleasure? Is it, you know, um deriving benefit of, you know, what you're tasting versus um, 
the, could it be an intrinsic pleasure? Does it matter if it's extrinsic or intrinsic? Yeah, so that's, this paper is, is um, especially sort of looking at that divide, whether the benefits coming actually from the activity, like you're just, you know, you're, you really like running or you're getting those endorphins, or if it's coming from outside the activity, like sort of the Netflix example, that's not anything about running, but it's still changing the experience of running. And so uh, I think in this paper, we show that either way, it really um, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the activity itself or external to the activity. If you can find, you know, pleasure in the activity that's intrinsic, that'll help. But if you could also add in something like the Netflix or the, you know, listening to music, that's also going to work. Hmm. Uh, But the important thing here, I think, is you're doing it for the long-term goal. So I'm not saying, like, eat, you know, just eat food that tastes good. It's like if you're trying to lose weight, you need to eat food that's good for you, but also that you enjoy, if that makes sense. Yeah, but but, so help me with this, because some people would say, but the joy, really, Caitlin— is looking in the mirror uh, an hour or whatever, uh, two days later and seeing that you're losing weight. But you're mm-hmm. saying that kind of long-term goal isn't really as likely to keep you in the game as actually enjoying the activity somehow. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. So the you know looking at yourself, looking at the progress that you're making, um, seeing – that change in the mirror, that I think is part of sort of the delayed benefit. So you get that as an outcome of your workout, right? If you put in the time at the gym, then you get that. And that's, I'm not trying to say that's not important because of course that's the whole reason that you're, you're going to the gym in the first place. Right. Uh, but, but it's hard to, to use that when you're actually there on the treadmill. It's, it's hard to find motivation in, in that because it's not really accessible to you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that you'll get later. It really, it sounds like what you're talking about is motivation, right? So motivation um, to keep doing the activity really means you have to derive some benefit in the activity. And if you, you have to make the connection to the real-time activity. Because if yeah, you're not connected, definitely. then you're not going to stay motivated to it. Mm-hmm. So I guess really then, if, if my long-term goal is to lose 30 pounds – um, all I need to do, if I really want to be effective at this, is find a means to the 30-pound weight loss that is beneficial and der- I derive benefit doing. Yep, yep, that's exactly it. Um, so, you know, you could you work out with Netflix, you could work out with a friend, any way to make that, that working towards that goal more motivating, more enjoyable for you would help you to achieve that. And I mean, honestly, if if I'm more motivated by Netflix than talking to another human, um, if that if that were the case, then that in and of itself being caught up in a, a series and I'm only going to allow myself to watch this series while I'm exercising, that that could be immensely motivating. Now, so then um, when I when I think of this, th- this makes total sense, right? It's, it makes total sense. So why do people not just do this naturally? What mistake are we making? Yeah, so I think the the mistake that people make is that when they're planning their goal pursuit, when they're planning their next workout, they don't think about the immediate benefit. They don't realize it's going to be important for their persistence. They're focused on the delayed benefit, right? They're thinking about the reason I go to the gym, maybe it's to lose weight, maybe it's to get in shape. And they're not thinking, oh, you know, I really need to make my workout enjoyable. Otherwise, it won't be something that I stick with. Um, so it's sort of that, that gap. The reason why you're pursuing the activity is not the same as the reason that you stick with it in the moment. Hmm. Isn't it? It's funny, too, because we this would be really important stuff for every, you know, ther- what do they call them, like exercise coach. Um, trainer to, to to help them because you might be mismotivating people. You might be motivating people more on a delayed benefit than on the immediate benefit. But the immediate benefit is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, yeah. They they, they maybe are focusing them on that weight loss goal and and not on the yeah the actual like, experience yeah. that they're having. Just mm-hmm. imagine when you walk into your high school reunion and you're in that yeah. red dress you wore in high school. I mean. Like, okay, yeah, that'll be great someday, but right. I need a marshmallow today. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Exactly. What yeah. What made you want to study this, Caitlin, of all the things you could be studying at the University of Chicago? So I'm really interested in uh, consumer goal pursuit and motivation, and uh, I thought that it seemed in the literature people were kind of neglecting this 
this immediate experience, right? Like sort of the marshmallow study that like you were mentioning in the in the beginning. People are saying no, like immediate experiences are actually going to tempt us away from our goals, right? But I thought maybe there's a way to actually harness this and harness the the fun to actually help work towards the goal. So it's not that I'm you know, going to go watch Netflix and not work out, but you can actually, you can pair those together. Potentially you can um, harness these immediate rewards to to help motivate people. Well, and it seems like, boy, I never thought of it this way, but you're also talking at the, at the Booth School of Business, you're talking consumer activity as well. So, boy, if I wanted to motivate more shopping, then it would behoove me as a company to find ways to make sure you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same thing with, um, you know, things like I think it's really important for retaining customers, like repeat purchases, mm. that the, the experience is maybe what's going to help people to stay with your company or stay with your service. Uh, they might be signing up for, you know, delayed benefits, like maybe getting a promotion. That's what, they, that's what attracts them, but what's going to keep them actually is that experience that they're having huh. at the moment. And maybe, I guess, is that how we should hire? That makes a lot of sense, too, that if I'm hiring – um, I want to maybe make sure that they that they're going to fit into the immediate benefit packaging of our current system, not just the delayed yeah. thing. They're going to want the goals. They may want the long term goals, the four hundred one ks, but in the end, that which are kind of delayed benefits of a of a job. But there's immediate benefits that they've got to really bite off on. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we've looked at this also with yeah with people who. Uh, are thinking about their current job versus a future job, what they value and what, what's important to them. Um, we find similar results there. So in the moment, people really value the connection that they have with others and their, you know, whether you get along with your colleagues, that's what's important. Uh, but when you're thinking about your next job, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about, like you said, like the pay package. It's so true. And uh, I just bought a car as well. And when I bought the car, it's funny. I was I, all of my goals were about like the delayed goals. Am I going to? Is it going to be a good investment? Is it a smart buy? Will I retain its value? Will it retain its value? But what I'm now frustrated with about the car is some of the lack of immediate benefits. Some of the things mm-hmm. that I want right now in the car that have nothing to do with. Well, yeah, it's going to have a great resale value. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, great, because I want I, my seats aren't even heated. So how am I going to heat my seat when I'm cold? <laughs> oh, we're pitiful, Caitlin, pitiful. Hey, um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. And then why don't you walk us through some, just some, some good things we should be asking, thinking about when it comes to setting these reasonable kind of uh, these immediate type of goals. We're, again, we're speaking with Ph.D. candidate Caitlin Woolley, who is a candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And she'll be uh, joining the marketing faculty at Cornell University this summer as an assistant professor. Great lessons about life and goal setting. Stick with us. I'm Leanna Tan, and this is The Matt Townsend Show. We're listening to Matt and Caitlin Woolley talking about immediate gratification and goals. Apparently, this is the secret ingredient to keep us going with our goals, not just looking towards what we will have in the future once we accomplish our goals, but immediate gratification and satisfaction during the process. Hmm. So in this next part, she and Matt take a deeper look at immediate versus delayed gratification and their effects on goal achievement and the importance of making goals that are in your reach. So um, when we talk about it, I guess one key is we've got to have some immediate benefit uh, that keeps us sticking to the goal uh, over the long term. Did you find anything else that was key to setting these goals? Yes, we find a, I found a couple of things. Um, one thing that we see is that the the delayed benefit does have some importance. So I'm not trying to say, I guess, here that the the immediate benefits the only thing that matters. For one, the the delayed benefits what's get what's getting people to initiate their goal in the first place. So you have to value that long term outcome, uh, getting a good grade or uh, doing well on your exam. Um, and and what also we we found that I was kind of surprised by was that. Uh, 
Because initially in the studies, it was only the immediate benefit that seemed to be predicting persistence. Mm -hmm. But if you look across all five of the studies that we have, the delayed benefit does matter somewhat uh, to to help with the goal achievement. So it's not the case that the the immediate benefit is the only thing that matters, but it's also um, having that delayed goal that you're you're able to get that's going to predict your persistence. I guess the delayed benefit is is what actually initiates the goal making because you're like, I want to lose weight. So now I need to exercise, and I'll find immediate benefit in exercising somehow. But you, so you, to some degree, you've got to you gotta you gotta want the delayed benefit. What do you did you have you found anything about people that just don't? I mean, are there some people that just don't set goals? They just eh, I just don't want to go there. Yeah. So. That's, yeah, that's a good point. So in our research, we've looked at mostly people who do value the long-term goal because that's sort of, you have to have that buy-in, like you said, to sort of start to start working towards it. Um, but I think, I mean, even if you don't have a goal of eating healthy, if you are, if you, you know, find some vegetables are tastier than others and you're going to eat more of the ones that, that taste good. So I think, uh, like we have a vegetable study in, in our paper, I think um, it's, the immediate benefit could still sort of help with these these positive behaviors, but it might not be totally there if you don't have that buy-in with the delayed benefit. Hmm. Is what about just the reasonableness of the goal? Can a goal be too audacious, too out there that it's it, it actually becomes you know disincentivized? You you're unmotivated to do it. Yeah, definitely, and I think I think that's kind of the problem that. Um, that happens oftentimes, right? So you're setting a goal and you might be too strict with it initially, right? So you want to run every day for like the next month and then that's just not really attainable for you um, and then you're going to, to drop out. So you have to be able to find something that's, uh, that's, I guess, within your reach. And I think that's part of why the immediate benefits where that comes in because uh, if, you, if you set that goal that you're going to try and run every day, it might not be something that you can actually fit into your schedule or that you even really want to make time for. Um, so if you're able to, to work towards something that you're enjoying, then you'll make that time for it and you'll, you'll find a way to, um, to push through with it. Hmm. Is, um, I, I mean, I, I guess, how much, how important of a part does the environment play in, I, I guess, your one thing you're saying is the environment needs, you need to derive benefit from the activity or the, or the environment, the situation you're in. But it seems like, Everybody's so different. Like I, I personally don't want to exercise with people, and mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I think it's like I I'd rather go into my happy place to um, to try to force my body to do things than have to try to create a conversation while I'm forcing my body to do things. No, definitely, and I think that's you know this is where it kind of it gets customizable to the person, right? So sometimes people ask me like, what's the key to to achieving your goal? Um, but it's going to depend on what works for you, right? So if you are the type of person that you just want to really relax during your workout, then maybe you'll do yoga and you'll find relaxation there. If you really want some sort of high-impact or high-involved activity with other people, you could join a sports team. And so it's not, uh, I guess, every trick isn't going to work for everyone, but the the overall takeaway is to find what works for you and what's going to bring you that that pleasure in the moment, that experience, that uh, is rewarding um, to help you stick with your goal. Because you really have to choose the right activity. You have to kind of choose the right conditions for you. You have to, I guess, decide the social setting you want it to to, to possess. I mean, there's really a lot of factors to what makes it immediately beneficial for you. And, I mean, I've seen – have you ever seen a situation where – you know, one person came to play golf with you and all of a sudden it didn't seem as immediately beneficial. <laughs> so it could just be one factor is off and it immediately can ruin your goal setting. Yeah, well, I see that here in Chicago, too, because the winter, it's really hard yeah. to do anything outside. And so it's much easier to get out when it's a nice day out. <laughs> yeah. So one factor is off. I mean, isn't it funny? You can exercise really well in the summer, and it's, like, amazing because that one condition is there. But in midwinter, you're just – I guess it's just time to pack on the pounds. Um, mm-hmm. What do you – so when, as you've gone through this, where do you see that you're going to take the research going forward? Yeah, so that's um, – there's a couple of projects I'm working on now. Uh, one, we're actually looking at immediate negative goals. Um, so, so whether – 
uh, or not immediate negative goals, but immediate negative experiences and whether there's any, uh, any motivating power in that. Um, we're also looking at how we can use rewards to uh, increase enjoyment. So does it, is it the case that you, you know, you're working towards your goal and you're getting some immediate benefit? Does that actually change how you perceive that activity then if that activity is giving you a, like a, a delayed benefit later on? Interesting, yeah. Kind of some on, yeah, ongoing projects that, um, that I've been working on. So, so that's an interesting point too then um, is delayed. So we're talking about delayed goals, but so delayed feedback versus immediate feedback um, mm-hmm. is, 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 could be possibly a motivator as well. Mm-hmm. If the feedback comes too late – in the cycle, you may it may not keep you uh, engaged as if it's – that's why you know at the end of something fun that you've done, you know it was fun and you're thinking, I didn't want that to end. Let's do that again. Yeah, so I think it's very much related to, to this work here. Um, and we also had some work where we were actually trying to to look at in, like ways that people could make the activity more fun. So kind of like I was talking about before um, – can you actually change your experience so that it's more enjoyable for you? So sort of choosing workouts, choosing one that's more fun for you, or uh, like listening to music or eating snacks when you're working on homework. Is that going to get you to stick with your homework more? Um, so it's actually trying to change behavior by making the experience more enjoyable. Hmm. You know, because um, going to your negative benefit, uh, so I've had, uh, I've had basically a gallbladder problem. Not to get too personal with you, Caitlin, but a gallbladder problem. And but what's interesting is your body gives you immediate feedback about something. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I'm feeling good and I'm and I'm not having the gallbladder issue, my brain thinks, "Hey, just try, just try the enchilada, just try it. <laughs> like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Just try it." But um, and it's funny because my body, oh, my brain is like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure enchilada has fat in it, and you're not supposed to have fat in your diet. But maybe try it. Then, in the, so then, a second later, I try it, and now I'm sick. And in the sickness, I'm like, Why did you try that? Right, it's, right. You're, it's so powerful what you're feeling and how that impacts your choices. Definitely, and I, I think you can you see that a lot with the medical domain too, with people adhering to medicine. So once you start to feel better, you don't think that you need to take the medicine anymore. Right. right? And so that's, yeah, that's sort of on, on similar lines. Definitely. So in a way, I guess, but it's almost like you can't harness the negative very long. Um, I mean, because as long as you're no longer feeling the negative, you, I mean, everybody has gone to a restaurant where they got sick or whatever, but it really doesn't last very long before you're thinking, hey, maybe we got to go back there. Like that was an anomaly. It, does the right, negative hold true. a? Does it just? Does the negative not last as long as the positive? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. So this is like sort of very early on stages, and so this is something that we're we're trying to unpack too. Because on the other hand, you you do find that people remember negative things yeah. more. Oh, you think right? Out. So yeah, yeah. But maybe yeah. Isn't it weird, especially when it comes to our health? But. Um, and so many of us, like I had a really bad, I went and shot a video for a workout. Anyway, it was a nightmare. And um, it was so negative for me just to have to go through it publicly, A, and then just sweating but thinking I'm going to die and have a heart attack at the same time. Um, all of that made it so I cannot go to this one place to work out anymore. I just can't go there. Because it's, cause it's stuck with you and you think uh-huh. you can't get that out. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> get it out of my system. But meanwhile, the, the place had nothing to do with it, but it's, it's just the symbol that I made out of the place. Like, that is the mm-hmm. sign of all things that are bad. I guess we do that as we're all trying to make it through our goals. Well, uh, Caitlin, this is cool research. Uh, we wish you the best of luck. Keep it up as you get to Cornell as well. Um, again, her name is Caitlin Woolley, Ph.D. candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, on her way to the faculty at Cornell University and uh, helping us be better. The article is called Goal Setting, What Separates Goals We Achieve from Goals That We Don't.
I'm Leanna Town. We're back with the rest of today's Matt Townsend episode. Well, today we've learned a lot about goals so far. We heard from Daphna Oyserman about using smaller units of time measurement when making goals. And Caitlin Woolley taught us about the importance of finding some way to get immediate gratification as you are working along to achieve your goal. So now that we've learned about goal setting, let's listen to a person who has actually achieved their goal. And a big one at that. This is an interview with Bart Williams, who achieved his goal of climbing Mount Everest, even at age 61. Bart Williams, thank you for being with us. You're welcome, Dr. Matt. And congratulations on accomplishing a lifelong goal. That's great. Thank you very much. It was indeed a lifelong goal and uh, something that came into my mind uh, in the last few years. You, you were 61. This was, You just did this this last May, was it? April? Yes. Uh, and, May 23rd of Sunday. Uh, I mean, and what, do you, what went through your mind? I mean, and, and what do you think now as you, as you look back and think, I did it. I did my goal. Uh, it's exhilarating. Uh, it, it, it still gets me through every day to think that I stood at the, the highest point on earth which was what I wanted to do. It was uh, kind of the pinnacle of my hobby, ambition, desire. And I thought, uh, you know, if I don't do that, um, then, well, maybe I haven't uh, reached the pinnacle of my hobby. And besides that, one of my grandson's middle name is Everest. And I thought, well, (laughs) for no other reason, I need to do it for him. (laughs) Oh, how great is that? I mean, it it seems like... um... When you read the story, and people can find out more about the story by going to your blog, BartWilliamsEverest.com, but right when you got to the top, one of the first things you wanted was the picture. You wanted to have the picture, but you wanted to be holding your family flag up when you took the picture. Yes, I carried my family every step of the way from the beginning of the trek and all of the, the different training we did along the way to uh, get ourselves ready to, to get to those high altitudes. And, uh, yes, I was, that was one of the most exciting things for me was to hold, hold them at the top. And then the satellite phone, you pull it out of your pocket, and once you got the picture, you wanted to get them on the phone. Yes, and uh, I got them on the phone, and I was so excited, and I had pulled my oxygen mask just two or three inches away from my face. And uh, in retrospect, I could have pulled it off for uh, a couple of minutes to talk to them, but I was so excited, uh, they didn't understand a word I said. In fact, they, <laughs> they thought I might have even been in trouble. Yeah, you know? <laughs> we're losing Dad. <laughs> He's slurring his speech. Oh, that's great. And was the family involved the entire time? I mean, I'm sure it took a lot of your own energy and resources, but, and it probably took you away from them a lot of time. Well, interestingly... Uh, they had advised me, you know, not to call home very often um, because you get too homesick. Yeah. And I actually did exactly the opposite, and it worked really well for me. I had both a cell phone that worked well over there and a satellite phone, and I called my wife in the morning and the evening and shared every moment of it with her. She had actually been to base camp with me twice before, once just on a trek, and once uh, in 2015, uh, which subsequently ended up in uh, with the earthquake, mm. um, and she had already returned home, but I called her also from Camp One at 20,000 feet right after the earthquake occurred to tell her I was okay at uh, you know her time 1:30 a.m. in the morning. Um, so uh, you know I. I had them be a part of this adventure as much as I possibly could. We blogged every day. When I couldn't blog um, above base camp, uh, I would call her on the satellite phone and and have her blog for me. Hmm. So uh, I was able to keep in touch with not only my family, but friends and colleagues as well. How does does a Morgan Stanley financial advisor (laughs) then get to Everest and um, and accomplish – Everest. I mean, that's two different worlds. It really is. Uh, you know, this uh, affords me the opportunity to do that. Um, my my business does uh, allows me to be away at times for you know two and three uh, months, as I had to be for Everest. But I had uh, um, 
the manager of the office who was willing to uh, run my business for me while I was gone. Hmm. And in fact, he he's an ex BYU quarterback. Um, and had uh, only request was that I carry a, a BYU shirt to the top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, Great. I'm, a Ute, I'm a Ute fan. Yeah. How can I do that. But I said, no, done. You know, if that's all you. That's all it takes. Do, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Oh, so, how great is no, that? I not only carried my picture, but I carried uh, the football jersey as well. Oh, that is wonderful. Okay, we'll have to tell the sports guys that in a few minutes. Um, when, when you when you got there, I mean, this really was. You, you mentioned in your article this idea of constant forward motion. Um, how, how you've been wanting to do this for a very, very, very long time. Have you just been constantly kind of moving toward it until all of a sudden you got there? Well, not really. I had um, early in my life, my my parents had taught me uh, the joy of reading, and I read a book called Banner in the Sky. It was later made into a movie called Third Man on the Mountain, a Disney movie, and it was about a Swiss man who conquers the mountain that killed his father, and and um, it just kind of stuck with me. And, and then uh, when I was 21 years old, uh, we, uh, some friends uh, and myself tried to climb the Grand Teton, and we were unsuccessful because um, of a storm that came in. But I started reading about all these interesting places uh, on the mountain, like the Eye of the Needle and Wall Street and the Friction Pitch. And so these places started calling to me, and uh, it, it just it became a, a desire of mine to see kind of almost historically where some of these places, uh, well, some things that had happened there, uh, like, uh, for instance, on the Eiger, you hear of the death biv- bivouac and the Hinterstoiser Traverse and some of these things. And it, it had always intrigued me to try to uh, visit these places. And then, of course, Everest, um, you know, places like uh, the Balcony and mm-hmm. the Hillary Step and the Cornish Traverse are places that I wanted to visit. So you, and then all of a sudden you find yourself right there. <laughs> what, what's that yeah. like to be looking to be, you know, in one of these locations actually doing it? Well, it was it was tremendous. Um, I, you know, it was uh, probably the biggest thrill of my life um, when we finally got up to uh, the South Summit, and we were now you know less than two hours away from the summit. Um, the uh, sky started to lighten up, and oh. um, and this beautiful cornice traverse uh, that leads up to the Hillary Step and then to the summit. Um, you know, I cried the whole way up there, uh, realizing a dream. And in speaking with a lot of my teammates later on, they had all had the same experience, oh. and it was it was just a beautiful thing. And to have the weather participate and be there for you. Um, yeah, what's that like when you're two you're two hours out, but you had good energy and you you thought you had good weather too? Well, at that point, you know, my energy had been gone for a long time, and it, again, back to the constant forward motion, just putting one foot in front of the other to try to make it happen. But then, uh, just the thrill of seeing the goal there in front of me um, that carried me on. It was almost, you know like a magnet pulling me to the top. Yeah. Holy cow. Meanwhile, you had a you had a, a a Sherpa with you, a native with you. I loved how much respect you showed them. I mean, these these people, you'd say, you know, we I accomplished it, but really I couldn't have done it without my my guide, my guy. I think to a climber that ever climbs Everest, um there's the greatest amount of respect that goes to the Sherpas and and we all know and every one of us states at the end that there's no way that we could have ever climbed Everest without our Sherpa. Aren't they amazing? They're just They truly are. They're not they're, yeah, they're, there's one that lives in Draper. I don't know if you've met him. I haven't met him personally, but I've certainly heard a lot about oh. him because I think he still might hold the record for yeah. the summits. And he's just he's a machine, but he's a tiny little machine. What what did you learn about goals um that the rest of us probably need to hear? Well, I have to admit that um, I may not be uh, the best at it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think what drove me was my age. 
And I started thinking when I was about 57, once I'd been told that I, I was still probably capable of doing Everest, I started thinking uh, back to my 50th birthday and just this wonderful birthday that my family threw for me, actually like a funeral. And they reached, uh, you know, giving a eulogy for yeah. me, you know, and they, they didn't, they wouldn't let me talk. I had to sit in the back of the room, you know, it brought me to tears, of course, all this. And, but I, at 57, I started thinking, you know, uh, the last 10 years has gone by so quickly and another 10 years is going to go by before I can blink my eyes and, and I'll, and I'll be 70. And I thought at 70, I think the dream is definitely gone. I, I thought it was gone at 50, hmm. uh, but then I was convinced that maybe it wasn't. But I think it was age and thinking that if I ever want to achieve my dream, I've got to do it while I'm still capable physically uh, and mentally. And of course, the mental part of this is uh, uh, the the toughest part. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, that's actually. You know, that's pretty telling because, again, 10 years goes fast and you did it at 60. Um, do you sense – Do you, what's your next goal and is, is your next goal anywhere near that um, or, or what do you do after you've done the biggest thing? Well, my, my goal now is to spend lots of time with my children and grandchildren. I've got eight grandchildren, and they're ages from one to ten. And uh, as anybody who has grandchildren knows, they're, they're so fun to be with. Mm. And, and I'm fortunate that they're all uh, very close uh, to where I live, and we get to see them often. And it's just so fun to watch them grow and develop. And, and that's my goal is to spend lots of time with them and to be close it's um, our 40th anniversary next year, and, oh, wow. and something that Judy and I have always wanted to do is is uh, the the out route from um, Mont Blanc to Zermatt, where you go oh, over neat. eight or ten passes um, and hiking uh, over about a two week period. Yeah, and and that's kind of our next little goal. But that's something. Uh, although Judy's uh, very very capable of doing Mount Everest, uh, she chose wisely not to. Um, but this is something that fits well within what she'd love to do as well. So, uh, you know, it's it's all about them, and it's been so selfish all about me for many years. What what uh, what role did Judy play in you getting it done? A very important role. Um, we had uh, we had arrived to Camp Three uh, at twenty four thousand feet. And uh, some very strong winds came up, and we were forced to uh, retrace our steps back down the Lhotse, the steep Lhotse face, and back to Camp 2. And getting up to Camp 3 up the Lhotse face is extremely difficult. And we were all just so downtrodden, depressed when we got back, thinking that we would have to do that again. Uh, Mm. We thought that was going to be our summit attempt. And I called Judy... Uh, from Camp 2, and I said, you know what, I, I don't know, I don't know if I have it left in me to do this. And she assured me that I did, hmm. and she gave me the confidence to get it done, and I think that was a critical moment in the climb when I, I needed uh, my best friend to help me to the next step. That's amazing. You know, and she's just back at home, sitting in her living room. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. amazing? And yet she's 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 providing the belief that you needed at the time. That's pretty exactly. powerful. Which is probably why you were in such a hurry to call her. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, because this really yeah. became your family's trek. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be because, again, I fought it my whole life thinking this is such a selfish thing. It's expensive. I'll be gone for a long time. I risk my life. And um, I, 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 I felt very guilty about mm. it. And to have them along with me and to keep them part of it as much as I could was the next best thing. I love it. I think that's such an important lesson that no matter what the task, it's still going to come back to people and our family and our grandkids and our kids. I mean, it it's always comes back to those we love. What advice would you give on the way out for the rest of us about making our own dreams become a reality? Well, do it while you can. Uh, don't put it off. Um, 
you know, while you're healthy and strong and, um, you know, uh, even my advice in the financial world is, uh, you know, take advantage uh, and, and do what you can do while you still can do it. Um, you know, don't, don't save all your money till you can't, you can't do it anymore. Right. Right. No, you know, that's, uh, that's so good, Bart. And you're the kind of guy that I think everybody would want to be their financial advisor because you, you, your priorities are obviously straight and you, you're, you know, you're willing to risk, but not, I mean, you did it the healthiest, best way you could do it as well. So Bart, we appreciate you. It sounds like you're going to have to write a book about this. Well, uh, thank you. I, I, I think, you know, what I've experienced would make maybe one good chapter, but <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think I could do a whole book. Well, the family side is super good. Uh, Bart Williams, we appreciate you, and keep up the great work. Good luck on your uh, future hikes with Judy. Interesting stuff. Isn't that cool? The power of a partner calling you uh, to get back up the mountain. That's pretty awesome. Really perfect symbol, right, of marriage. Bart Williams, uh, again, Morgan Stanley Financial Advisor. Go check out his website, bartwilliamseverest.com. Wow, what an inspirational guy. Well, you heard it from the source. It's never too late to achieve your goals. So do it while you can. And it might be helpful as you're setting new goals or recommitting to the old ones to revise your goal-setting process. Like our guest said today, think of things in smaller time units to create a sense of urgency and find some way to make the process fun and get that sense of immediate gratification along the way to keep you motivated until the end. Well, I guess that means it's back to the whiteboard for me. I've got to find some way to enjoy a daily workout, I suppose. Well... Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend. 